or two. This was partly because of Cray, who could not go to America because of some income tax matter, a running battle with the IRS that did not quite warrant extradition. Cray had some view that she would be held hostage. The idea of her going always threw him into one of his fits of gloom. He was Polish to his boots, though after the age of twelve he had been raised in Chicago. It wasn't so much her absence he would mind. They got lost in their rooms and corridors and saw little of each other. It was that America could attach a piece of his property. Clara. Whether it could or couldn't, Clara respected his fears. They tallied with her own, which over the years had grown exaggerated from reading American newspaper accounts of violence, handguns, road accidents, and crime. Now thirty-two, Clara had been married for a dozen years, but hadn't acted since that first film, when she met Serge, and when she gained a little bit of cult fame for a daring dance scene. In truth, her dancing had not been as memorable as her nubile beauty, just out of her teens, black curls, and a voluptuousness that was close to plumpness. She became thinner with marriage and motherhood. Lars, their eleven-year-old son, was at school in England, to Clara's distress and over her objections, it being Cray's view that English education was superior to French for a boy with Lars's handicap. Mrs. Holly, Lars's ailing grandmother, agreed it was a shame to send a child so young off without his mother, and in her opinion Clara wasn't happy, but the husband was overbearing, as these film people are. Mrs. Holly would say all this to her caregiver, Crystal. There's nine hours' time difference between here and France, Mrs. Holly would always add, it being so odd to think of Clara all the way on the other side of the world where it was dark when the sun shone in Oregon. Clara was controversial in the American community. The natural suspicion people are apt to feel of above-average beauty was allayed by her apparent modesty and intelligence. A certain loftiness was attributed to shyness, so that people could almost forget about how she looked. Some felt sorry for her because of Lars, deaf from birth, and of how she must miss him, while others remarked that into each life some rain must fall. Yet there was also the fact, undeniable, that the possessors of good fortune tend to take it for granted, and then to expect it, and Clara was no exception. In her own view, she may have felt she had mysteriously earned her looks, wealth, and good fortune by the conscious exercise of virtue. Chapter 2 Tim The night the American journalist Thomas Ackroyd Nollinger met the former actress Clara Holley in Paris, without, he says, special presentiment at the time, he had, by coincidence, been talking about Serge Cray that very morning in Amsterdam in connection with an interesting crime. Nollinger, European stringer for the American conservative news magazine Reliance, and also using his initials T.A.N. for the liberal monthly concern, he was more or less untroubled by the ideological contradiction, contributor to the English literary magazine The Weekly, occasional reviewer for the T.L.S., film buff, restaurant critic, and would-be novelist, had been sitting in the Café Prole in Amsterdam, reading through the pile of stuff his helpful magistrate friend, Case, had brought him, and noticed something that touched on Clara, or actually her husband, little suspecting he'd be meeting her later the same day. 
The crime that interested Nollinger was the theft of a valuable medieval manuscript from the Morgan Library in New York. Though far away, it connected surprisingly to his own life. When he read, in the list Case gave him of prominent collectors of incunabula and illustrated manuscripts, not only the well-known name of Serge Cray, the reclusive director, but the names of a couple of people he had actually met in Frankfurt. These were people the criminals might be expected to try to sell their stolen loot to. The list of manuscript collectors had been compiled by Interpol, with the cooperation of the International Booksellers Association, from auction catalogues and records of private sales. None of the people on the list had ever been associated with stolen material, Case explained, and they were not suspected in the recent theft, but all would be contacted by Interpol and made aware of the disappearance of the dryad apocalypse, should it be offered for sale to any of them. The Americans have some reason.